Hey everybody, my name is Josh Remini. I am the pharmacist that de-prescribes drugs by giving people health and wellness tips, tricks, hacks to moving their health from maybe not so good to vibrant. Follow along if you're ready to go beyond the pills. What are your thoughts on biohacking and sleeping? So I've done a lot of work on this because I had an issue back in 2018 something that caused me and my body to not sleep well. So I've been recovering from that incident. And I had a couple of things along the way that I had to implement to improve my sleep. One was making the room cold. I don't like cold weather. I live in Florida for a reason. But it's proven and documented that you're going to sleep better if your room is cold. Your room you sleep in is cold. And I would say... Most experts would agree that somewhere around 68 degrees would be an optimal temperature. And you'll see, whether you're using a whoop or an aura ring or some of these other tracking devices, your heart rate especially will drop sometimes 10 points on your average heart rate when you sleep. But you'll get a better sleep experience with that. A darker room or wearing an eye shade, something like I've got a weighted blanket that's got negative ions and it's EMF shielded and grounded or whatever. And that puts you in a little cocoon that makes you feel better. It's warm, so I've got to have that AC on externally pumping. And then just having the room dark, if you want to play some white noise or something, that usually helps people. Avoiding the blue light, which we've talked about a ton, which sometimes it's really hard if you're, you work until you go to sleep or you have things you want to watch. You've got to get a, a pair of blue light blocking glasses either that you can deal with, because sometimes when the ones that are made for night, it's not easy to see out of those some yeah, cases. Yeah. So even if you're wearing them and you need to do something on your screen, you can't really make out things the way that you want to. I guess I'm getting to the point where I'm going to need to get at least readers built into the blue glass because it, becomes, it gets hard to do that. So blocking the blue light, eliminating food, say three hours before you go to sleep makes a huge difference. I still wrestle with that a lot, but it makes a huge difference. If you're working to digest food right when you go to sleep, it wreaks all kinds of havoc with your sleep cycle. So sleep's a whole huge topic in and of by itself. These are just some of the things that I've implemented to work on sleep effectiveness and just the outcomes for sleep. Yeah, it's amazing because when you talk about this stuff, whether it's sleep or food or any of these things, like it's the same relative training that you get from functional medicine is like integrative medicine, but with science behind it. It's for healthcare practitioners. All the things you said are in the same chat or the same talk that I use on sleep hygiene or best sleep practices. It's don't eat before bed, get rid of the blue light as best you can. You're right with the blue blockers that are designed for nighttime use. It's almost like you're at sunset in your own home. I told my staff, I said, challenge yourself and do candlelight only when the light goes down and see how better you sleep. It's amazing because if you're around a campfire, that's not a light that's stimulating your particular activating system, which is making you a lot awake. It's yeah. these lights here. It's all the lights that we're doing in the screen. It's people that go to bed that say, I need to go to bed with my TV on, or I need to go to bed or I need to relax by watching TV before I go to bed. I always tell people that it's like you're 12 noon all the time if right. you're having a screen. If there's a blue light screen, whether it's a TV or a pad or anything, your phone, you gotta kind of cut mine out two hours before bed. I've been really nailing the sleep space when I get most of that stuff right. Yep. My variability changes if I do yep. something different. If there's just one little variable where I watch TV, or I eat a snack because we were watching a movie with the kids this weekend. I look at my sleep score in the morning and you see that your heart rate took two, three hours to get down to baseline. Right. You're right. With cold, it's 68 or below. 
And so you've got to get these little things. This is where we, this is why I like they're calling like their hacks, right? They're small things that you can do, but they're additive. There's not like one smoking gun and biohacking. Yeah. And then there's the Wi-Fi part too. I forgot to mention, I cut my Wi-Fi off at night as well. That makes a difference. Do you use a Wi-Fi timer? I don't. I just you just kill it? Yeah, so there's Wi-Fi timers. People don't realize when you're putting all these Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signals all through the house, there's actually paint that you can paint your walls now that'll block all these signals. And I wish I had done that prior to our renovation is like securing ourselves from that space because, yes, there are electromagnetic signals that are good for us, pulsed electromagnetic frequencies, We've been talking a little bit about scalar energy and how it's important and impactful. But then there's all of these negative charge or negative frequencies that we have to shield ourselves from just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We all know TV waves exist and radio frequencies exist. You could go into deep dives on every one of these. Lifestyle medicine is what we've talked about and there's tricks, tips, hacks that you can do. What are the top three things that you've incorporated in your life or something that you've consulted people on that are really things that we can send people home. We've talked about the easy stuff, right? Yeah. Drinking enough water. But if they're interested in kind of working beyond some of the norm, like I say, mindfulness is number one. Sleep is probably number two. Obviously nutrition, getting rid of the chemicals, cleaning up the diet, adding extra water, half your body weight in ounces per day is where I think the normal should be. What are some other things people could be doing? Let's just say tech. What are your okay. top three tech things? You so, with te- so with tech, we talked a lot about the whole stem cell and regenerative medicine deal. And there's that company that we're both familiar with now. By the time you hit age 30, 35, half your stem cells are pretty much shot. And that's what regenerates everything in your body and heals everything. There's the pluripotent stem cells divide and turn into whatever cell is needed in the body to heal whatever's going on. So this is something that as you get into your 30s, 40s, and by the time you're 60, you virtually have none left. There's a company that makes a little patch, and I don't, you're not going to be able to see this probably, but that's one right there, that takes infrared frequencies from your body, reflects it back into the body, activates copper peptides that then activate stem cells, and they do just wondrous things for anybody. So that's one. It costs roughly $100 a month for those things. You put one patch on in the morning, take it off at night, so it's like 12 hours on, 12 hours off roughly. And over time that some people feel that immediately, 50% of people and the rest, like over 30, 60, 90 days, you'll start to see miraculous things happen with that because your stem cells are one of the things that we really need that just die off as we get older. So now we're diving into longevity and the patch you're talking about is the X39 patch, which we both are using right now that have gotten really good results. You've seen a ton of people actually going to show right here just so that they know that I always say you got to walk your tongue. So stem cells. Stem cells are the cells that can migrate into anything. That right. This is how we rebuild. We're constantly recirculating billions of cells every day. We have things die off. We have to make them. But stem cells are the piece of the longevity of youth, if you will. It's why we're so resilient when we're younger, because we have all these stem cells. And as we get older stem cell production goes down. People might have been have heard of regenerative medicine where they're sticking stem cells in your knees, in your hips, in yep. your labrum. This is a technology that people used for mostly professional athletes yep. for a long time. My wife got stem cells in her hip, which helped her regenerate a ligament. So people probably understand or have heard of regenerative therapy, but now we have 
less, very non-invasive things that we can do that can help if you activate the body to produce these stem cells again, you're going to repair the DNA, which is super important. We're going to be able to do things like pain, all these things. So tell people a little bit. So that's your number one. Yep. Getting on a stem cell activating patch, which is a low barrier. We're not costing thousands of dollars here. This is about a hundred bucks that can really give people what? Do no harm first. Not going to do any harm. And it can really help if they have a dysfunction, right? Sure. If there's something that's going on, that can, we have a mutual friend where she had an issue in her hip the other week and she just chucked a patch right on the hip and she's like, in five minutes, my pain was gone. And we're not trying to tell everybody that this is the next greatest thing. It's got data to support what it's doing, which I always think backed by science is important. Yep. So stem cell activating patch, it's been a low hanging fruit for you. I've just hit my 30 day mark for me. So I'm very good because we're bringing this into our longevity program as part of, because I'm trying to prove that we can turn back the biological clock. Right. So we're literally going to add things that I know have had some speculative or some proof behind a few studies, looking at diet, lifestyle, in a couple so i'm putting in the patch we're going to do a detox program and then we're going to do the dna which you and i have both done as well to look at people's wellness as it relates to their specific dna so i'm taking all three of those things supplements the stem cell activator and the dna to show which food which lifestyle which diet works best for their genetics supplements lifestyle and a few different things, so a wearable tech to monitor heart rate variability and things like stem cell. So what's actually happening when you sleep? The old guard would just say you're sleeping, everything shuts down, right? And so we're resting, we're regenerating, things like that, stem cells awaken. But what really is happening, there's these cells in your brain called glial cells, and they awaken at night. It's basically the lymphatic system for your brain. So we don't drain and we don't get rid of all the things in our brain. There's this blood-brain barrier that we have, but our bodies have a lymph system, and that lymph system drains and gets rid of toxins, and we know our kidneys and our liver and everything is we're absorbing, excreting all day long, but our brain doesn't have that capacity. There's a real good reason for that, and we don't want things to flush up to the brain and come down. So when we go to sleep, these glial cells activate and it's basically like a dishwasher. So, you know, when you put the dishwasher on time delay and it goes and you're sleeping, it's on, right? And it's washing the dishes. So your brain is detoxing at night when you sleep. So all the things that happen, whether it's stress, cortisol, chemical imbalances, inflammation, we all have total inflammation. There's a lot of inflammation going on. All this stuff basically happens at night when you fall asleep. So these glial cells wake up and they basically are draining out and detoxifying the brain, which is super important because we don't want anything to accumulate that's bad in the brain because it's just going to totally destroy it. This is how things happen, cognitive decline. So you can see the causality here. So when we say increase in cognitive decline, if you don't sleep well, it's because you're not detoxing and draining the system. Well, try not doing your dishes for a few days. And see what happens to your kitchen. <laughs> like, it's the same kind of concept. You've got to clean regularly. Or, or, like, can you imagine not going to the bathroom for a day or two or three, right? There's a lot of things that we're detoxifying. It's not just eliminating. There's also a muscle recovery. We're told, like you said, when you're a kid, you go to sleep, you can play again. So muscle recovery is happening. Bone is remodeling when you're sleeping. 
the pancreas is, this is why blood sugar regulation is important for sleep. So anything we talked about, diabetes gets worse if you don't sleep. It's because the pancreas is doing really good stuff while you're sleeping. It's regenerating. It's doing the things it needs to do. So blood sugar imbalance is important. Skin repair, like we called about brain clearing. And another important piece that I think is really important when we sleep. When we have a memory, most of the time, there's an emotional attachment to that memory. So let's say you have an argument with your spouse. The memory of the argument is attached to an emotion. And that's where we get charged. That's where we have a feeling. That's where we have these emotional charges. Well, when we sleep, there's a memory consolidation. So we consolidate everything we learn for the day. So I tell my girls, they're six and eight. I'm like, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're not going to remember what you learned in school. So we consolidate our memories when we sleep. So it's really important for memory to get good night's sleep. But we also separate that emotion from the memory when we sleep. They think about it. It's not just getting the rest. It's like when you had that argument, you go to sleep, you remember the argument, right? But it's not as emotionally taxing. So your brain actually separates the emotion from the event, the memory, while you sleep. Super critical component of memory, but also emotional attachment. Are we aware of the biological processes that do that? That's fascinating. Well, you know, you've heard the adage, we only use 10% of our brain. So there's a lot going on in our brain that we're still just learning about. There's a whole component of consciousness unlocking these default mode networks and your subconscious going to work at night. And you can go all the way down the rabbit hole of like dreams and what are they mean. It's like your subconscious talking to you about these things. There's also learning that you can do while you're sleeping. There's different layers of things that we can do to program our brains as well when we're sleeping. But for all intents and purposes, I found that fascinating when I was researching sleep a lot a couple months ago was that consolidation, but also the detachment of that emotion, which makes that super critical because if you had an emotional attachment to every memory, we probably wouldn't be able to just exist in the way that we do now. We have peak emotional experiences that they're traumatic or actually really good, like the birth of your kid. Some of those things where you have that emotion that you can bring that back to. And there's this whole concept of change and there's this whole concept of moving people towards change is taking an emotion and attaching it to the memory because we can do that. That's why I think the dishwasher analogy is easy for me to understand is like, oh, we're cleaning up the stuff that's gone on during the day. Again, if we don't have that sleep and we sleep in cycles, we know that. So that's why it's like you go from light, REM, deep, and you go and go in these different phases. If you look at Aura Ring, Whoop, or even the Apple Watch, we have sleep trackers now, Fitbits. A lot of these things can track the sleep. I think some are better than others, or I think their algorithms are better. But if we don't get enough cycles in, it's kind of like the wash cycle, we're not going to rinse as much. You can't just get two cycles in. So we need those cycles, which is why that length of quality is important. It's not just time in bed. It's the quality of that sleep and understanding that from that perspective. You remember, if your gut is happy, you have less anxiety. Consider adaptogenic teas that have their polyphenols and calming effects, such as chamomile, holy basil, or oolong tea. These are things that can be calming in nature. So anxiety is correlated with the lower total antioxidant levels in the body. So you want to raise the antioxidants, which is a novel approach for anxiety, is you want to put in the good stuff. 
So if you have anxiety and you have low antioxidant status, the reasoning is if you have better antioxidant status, you might have better reasoning and better support on your anxiety. Spices, clove, allspice, sweet basil, sage, turmeric, ginger, fruits, berries, lots of berries, very phytonutrient dense. The black, the reds, those are really good for you. Vegetables, spinach, beets, broccoli, things that are also really good in antioxidants. Beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, all that's really important for your diet, okay? You can just support that for your anxiety. So think about this. Your food is medicine. Every time you eat that one food, kale, for example, you're thinking of it as a medicine, like a pill, because it's helping. It's really actually physiologically helpful for your anxiety. Lifestyle. Let's talk about lifestyle. When I think anxiety, I think stress. So I think, what can I be doing? So diaphragmatic deep breathing, activating that diaphragm, the vagus nerve that stimulates a calming effect. So it's called parasympathetic rest and digest. We've talked about that. If we do more calming breath, you can even get into that rest and digest state just by doing deep breathing. Three to five minutes, it's all it takes. It doesn't take very long. You just focus and do the breath, okay? And what would you do there? You would close your eyes, breathe in through your nose, be, breathe in deeply through your hips, through your belly, five to six seconds, hold at the top, gently hold, and exhale through the nose or the mouth and relax. That's it. See, it's not that hard. People think it's hard. It's not. So adopting meditative practices, my number one, my number two, probably my number three things I do. I love meditation. I'm a big Joe Dispenza fan. If you already know me, progressive relaxation, guided imagery, emotional freedom, technique therapy. These are all ways that we can help reduce down the stress levels. There's too much. There's too much. There's too much information on meditation. So if you're not meditating, like to know how you can ask us or you can seek out some good recommendations because it's really helpful. Exercise, mindful exercise for anxiety. So these are things like Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga where you're mindfully moving, not high-intensity interval workout. Remember that high-intensity interval workout, stress on the body. It might be good stress, but it's stress. It does not help the fight-or-flight triggering and the anxiety. So if you're looking to treat your anxiety with lifestyle, you might want to try more of the walking, mindful-type things while going out for walks in nature, aromatherapy, massage, music therapy, putting this in your daily routine, not just saying, oh, that's nice, I do it on occasion. What if you could just do that daily? It doesn't take long. I call it stacking. If you're going to go walk your dog around the block, put on some meditative music rather than looking at your phone, which is stimulating to the nervous system. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Optimize sleep. If you're looking to optimize sleep, go to our former podcast on sleep. Really important for sleep practices, your care practice for sleep. If you intentionally do the things that have been shown and proven to optimize your sleep, you will ultimately help the stress response system. Remember, when you're sleeping, that's the brain's dishwasher to get rid of all the junk and all the stress and clearing out all the cortisol and all that gunk up there. So if you're sleeping well, you're detoxifying the brain. It's the only time of the day where the brain detoxifies and gets rid of the stress and disassociates the thing that happened with the emotion. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Pills podcast. You can find Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook at Josh Rimini and on TikTok at Beyond the Pills. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be forever grateful if you left a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know somebody who wants to go beyond the pills, send them this episode. If you've got any specific questions or ideas for future episodes, reach out to Josh and send him a message. 
Thanks again for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community. We'll see you next time.